Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek, Go, Create. This is your host, Tim Winters. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and in ministry. Oftentimes, we will mash all those together. I know we're definitely going to have a deep conversation today about leadership. We're definitely going to be tying a lot of business items into it also. So we'll get to our guest in just a moment. I want to always just welcome you and encourage you to do one big favor for me. I, your host, Tim Winters, has just written, I guess we could call it my debut novel. It's titled Coach, A Story of Success Redefined. And I wrote the whole thing, typed it out with these two fingers, three words forward, two words back. And uh, I believe I believe it's pretty good. So what I'd love for you to do, depending on when you're listening in on this, go check out seekgocreate.com forward slash book. And you could either download the first chapter for free, or if it's after the release that you check it out, you will be able to find all the places that you can get the book, read it, and enjoy it. I'll go ahead and tell you, it's kind of in the flavor or the genre of Ogmandino books, one of my favorite authors that wrote The Greatest uh, the greatest Salesman in the World, The Choice, a lot of those books. Kind of a, kind of a novel with purpose or a novel with a mission is uh, the best way I could say it. So, Coach, Story of Success Redefined, go check it out at seekgocreate.com forward slash book. And uh, let me know your thoughts. I appreciate it very much. All right, today we have Jen Thornton as our guest. And I, I love when I read people's bios and background like Jen's. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with her bio because it's about three pages long. Let me just tell you, she's an HR professional with expertise in talent strategy and leadership professional development and a whole lot more. Jen, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's going to be a very fun show. Yeah, we're going to have fun with this. So first thing I like to ask, gave you a little bit of warning on this. I, I didn't go in. You do have a massive bio and it's very impressive. And uh, and so I just wanted to hit the high points. But if you and I were to bump into each other, oh, I don't know, let's say on an elevator at a conference or at the very beginning of a podcast, and I were to say to you, Jen, if someone asks you, what do you do? What do you typically tell people? You know, I think what I typically tell people is that I'm trying to smash um, our best practice leadership skills that we um, that were created in the 80s and 90s. Um, world was a little different back then, and um, I'm helping smash those best practices to create leadership skills that will take us into the future, reduce fear, and create innovation. Wow. Okay. So that's 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 good. There's a lots of stuff there. So you. you and and it kind of leads to one of my first questions that I have for you, and that is, how do you define leadership? And I ask this a lot, and I love getting the different answers with it. And uh, but when you say leadership, I, I, to me, I'll go ahead and be blunt. I think it's an overused word in our culture, and so I think it's important for us to define it from time to time. How do you define leadership? Oh my gosh, if I was to define it, I would probably have to write a book. Um, I think that there's a lot to that. And I think that leadership means something different to every person. One of the things I'm really passionate about um, is what does a word mean to someone? And if you ask 10 people to describe any word, leadership, team, any of those, and you ask 10 people to describe it with 12 words, you'd probably get 120 different things to describe it. Um, for me, it is the respect you show a group of people in order to do something big. Mm, that's very good. So that leads a pretty broad range. And, and I know that we'll talk later about the specific leaders that you work with, but I really like to at times ask when, I, when I've got people that are what I consider experts in that area of leadership, I like to ask kind of what they see in our culture or in our environment today related to leadership. And I don't know if it's like give it a grade or give it a scale of one to 10 or just what do you see out there, but um, just what, what do you say is the state of leadership in, uh, in the world today? That's a tough question, isn't it? Big question. It is a tough, it's a big, tough question, but it's the right question because I don't necessarily know if we know where we're at. I would say that I would describe it as confusion um, I love the, the seek, go, create, because I think that's what we're doing right now with leadership. We're seeking out those answers so that we can go and do big things. 
And one of the things that is popping up that I'm seeing is that, you know, early 2020, we, we went through some crisis. And when we go through crisis, we become very directive leaders, which is the right thing to do. Building on fire, get out. No discussion, no collaboration, get out of the building, it's on fire. And that's what happened early 2020. And because um, for almost going on, gosh, two years now, we don't necessarily have a playbook of what to do. There is no best practice. There's a lot of um, leaders who have gotten in this habit of continuous to directive lead. And so they have stopped the conversations. They've stopped the collaboration because they're in this habit. They built the neural pathways of directive leadership. So now that's their fastest way to succeed. They just run that pathway. Um, the other thing that has happened is we've been leading through a lot of fear, rightfully so, a lot of fear in a thousand different ways. And so what we know is as your fear chemicals in your brain goes up, your access to emotional control, decision quality, um, collaboration, everything you want, you have less access to that the higher the fear is. And we've been in a lot of fear. So I think right now what we have to do is back down off that fear, back down off of that directive leadership and start to decide how do we wanna lead um, in a way that creates an environment that allow people to do their best work. Hmm. You, you use the term directive leadership and actually that's that's a nice way of saying how some leaders respond when they're in the midst of crisis and uh, the reason I say that, I don't know if I'm as much this way in the, as I have been in the past, but, you know, there's some people that in times of war, in times of challenge, you want them in charge because they're going to stand up and tell people what to do. But you, you brought it up, so, so I'm going to uh, dig a little bit more. We were, as a world, really in somewhat of a, a, a crisis mode, and so... So at times people have to turn on that crisis leadership uh, directive style that you brought up. And then all of a sudden there comes a time where we say, now you need to be more facilitative and cooperative or coaching or whatever words we want to use. How does one person juggle that? <laughs> I mean, can, can one person do it? I mean, come on. I mean, I... I love to be the guy that, hey, we got problems, Tim. Can you come in and tell everybody what to do? Yes, I'm good at telling people what to do. <laughs> Who doesn't love to boss everyone around? Um, so I think it is a practice. It, um, and I think leadership is a practice. It is not something that we learn and we check a box. We try, we experiment, we get better, um, we fail. We do everything as we lead teams. Um, but I think that you know, directive leadership in crisis, it, it's needed. There are times where we have to crisis manage. There are times where um, we may be in a short time period where we can't get a line or can't get a consensus, but we're gonna have to align. And a leader may have to step in and say, I understand there's four different views on how to move forward, but based on our timeline, based on best case scenario, here's the decision and we will align. You know, I like to say it's a balance. You know, if you can have 75, 80% of your conversations that are a more of a, a conversation, more of a discussion, more of a collaboration where you're learning that other person is learning at the same time, and then you're like 20, 25% directive, then you're probably in a pretty good place because yeah, as a leader, some days you've got to be really directive. Do you, um, this is a very loaded question, so I apologize up front. Okay. Do you see a lot of examples in our, and let's just go big picture here. Let's talk about politics, the, you know, the high level business world, uh, you know, in the public sphere. Do you see a lot of examples of good leadership there? Oh gosh, that is a loaded question. I think that, do I see one person that I'm like, oh, if we could all be like that one person, the world would be wonderful and life would be saved. No. I um, I wish because I would study that person inside out. But what I can say is that um, a lot of people have um, pieces that are needed to lead mm -hmm. an organization. Um, let's see what's someone, you know, the head of Tesla, right? You know, brilliant, brilliant mind has a reputation for being a little wacky some days. But without that brilliant mind, without that ability to think that anything is possible, 
then we wouldn't have all the Tesla products because he thinks anything or everything is possible. Everything you can touch, you can do. Now there are a ton of people around him that probably fill in those gaps. And I think that's a huge piece of the future of leadership is understanding who to surround yourself with. And I know we've talked about that for years, but I look at it a little different now. I look at it as we get really proud of what we do well, and we are totally awesome and cool with what we don't do well. And we are incredibly authentic about that. Um, also in the pace in which the world is moving, we have to understand how to put people around us that are experts and can dive deep because as a top level leader, you know, we, like you said, big companies, you cannot be an expert in everything. And so you have to understand how to leverage experts as part of your decisions, part of your education, part of your learning. And I think that is taking kind of that old school of surround yourself with great people to what it looks like today. And that is understanding how to leverage experts in every area of your business and even areas that you think maybe don't need to be there, but could be there in the future. And how do you leverage that information to lead a group of people doing really good work? Yeah, I always get nervous with that word expert. And and just so you know, Jen, this is a little bit of confession time for me. There was a time in my life that I really thought I was an expert in some areas. As I mature, I won't say get older, as I mature, I'm starting to realize that I'm really not an expert in anything, but I'm attempting to be more skilled at things like communications, asking questions, listening. I mean, you know, it's one thing to ask a question. It's another thing to listen. I sat around a table at uh, the tail end of last week with one of the organizations that I work with, and we had a real, like, come to terms type type realization where we realized that we were all pretty bright we were all pretty good at what we do but we probably aren't experts necessarily at anything anymore now we're better than most and that's one of the reasons why we're able to deliver what we deliver but boy things are moving fast and it makes it difficult to be an expert correct it does. And I love that you bring that up because the other thing, when I think about competencies of our future leaders, one of the competencies that I think is going to be incredibly important is leading people that do jobs that you do not know how to do. Because even if you were the expert at IT security this year, and three years from now, you're now directing a team of IT security experts, guess what? You no longer understand it because it moved too fast. And so learning how to listen, communicate, ask the right questions, um, you know, really watch how to um, get people to think bigger. All about those skills allow you to lead people that do jobs that you don't know how to do. And we have to start to come to terms with the fact that, hey, to be a great leader, you may not know how to do some stuff and that is okay. Yeah, I love that. To me, just mm -hmm. so you know, at the stage that I'm at, that is almost like leadership 101 now, which is a level of humility that says, uh, this is Tim's words, you ain't all that. You, you need to kind of <laughs> make sure that you know that and then allow other people to come in and support. So anyway, we're, I want to talk more about that, but there's a few things that I want to cover. This is a little bit funny. I'm, you know, as I'm doing prep and I'm reading through things, I kept seeing that your company name was 304. Uh, coaching, I believe is what it was. And, and I'll tell you the first thing that came to mind, Jen, I'm sitting here thinking Jen is like Pitbull. She has named her company. He's missed. He's like, you know, Mr. Worldwide and 305. And so I'm looking up what area code is 304. And I'm going, that's West Virginia. I don't think she's like, uh, so Tell me about the name of your company, and I apologize if I disparaged it at all by comparing no. it to Pit Pitbull. <laughs> no, that is actually a compliment. I'll take that. Um, because if any listeners from the day of pagers, 304 meant something that wasn't great. So. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, I did, I did not pick up on that. Sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm from that age of pagers. So the story of 304, um, you know, like life, you just go with the punches some days. And I had decided to leave my amazing corporate job and start my own business. And someone that I had worked with in the past knew that I was going to do that. And so she calls and she says, hey, 
I need you to come pitch to my CEO tomorrow. And this is probably like three o'clock in the afternoon. And we're hiring a coach for our entire C-suite and I want it to be you. Um, but you know, you have to got to come in tomorrow and pitch. And I was like, well, I haven't left my corporate job yet. And I don't even have a name for my company. And she's like, we well, better figure it out tonight. And I was like, awesome name of a company, um, a pitch and maybe a logo. Fantastic. I will do all that tonight. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there with this blank piece of paper. What do I call this company? And, you know, I'm not one of those people that's really good at like, you know, leadership above all else. Like I'm just not that person. And I, my lucky number is 304. Um, it's a combination of important dates. And I thought, well, I'll just call it 304 coaching for today. And then, you know, once I get figured out, I'll call it something else. And um, I never um, got around to calling it anything else. I did land that job and they are still a client today, all these years later. Um, but yeah, that is how it became through for coaching. Wow, well, okay. So, so Jen, Ms. Worldwide, 304, we, we won't go down that road. So anyway, um, because I did, I looked it up and 304 is an area code in West Virginia. I'm going, I don't know if she's something out of West Virginia, nothing against West Virginia at all, nothing, but, um, nothing. But I, I'm a Texan. I think, so yeah, that one have worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I saw that. So, all right. So let's back up a little bit then. And you brought it up with your corporate career. And I saw that you were with American Eagle, I believe, and, and some things for a long time. So I'd actually like to go back just a little bit farther because I like to put pieces together on how people have come to be who they are. And the question I have for you, Jen, is at what point did you recognize, realize the skies parted, the sun shone down of you, something like that, that you had some skills, talent, uh, whatever in the area of leadership? Was it early? Was it later? When did you realize that? You know, I started working um, in the retail industry at a very young age. Um, that was, you know, my goal in life is I wanted to hang out in the mall full time and dreams did come true for me. I got to work in the mall and I, you know, loved it. And, it was, you know, well, again, we won't mention our dates, but it was during pagers and there wasn't the Internet. So we weren't shopping. So the mall was the place to be. But what I didn't know at the time is I was leading multi-million dollar businesses at a very young age. And I know when we walk through our local mall, we don't realize that those people are running two, three, five, ten, twelve million dollar businesses. And when you're running a business of that size, you're making hiring decisions, you're making personnel, your performance management, you've got KPIs, you've got payroll budgets, you've got stock budgets, you've got, I mean, you've got a lot going on. And so very early on, I got to practice leadership skills um, by chance. And I, it was a, I was very fortunate in that. I learned very early that I did not get my results like most people. I felt a little like I'm out of place. I got, I was always a top performer, always made my numbers, but I did it because I was obsessed with the people. I wasn't competitive. I didn't wake up and think, oh, I got to beat this other person. I woke up and thought, ooh, who's on my team today? And they're really good at this. And then they could do that. And wouldn't it be cool if they made that goal? And so that is how I thought about my, my store at the time. And so, you know, fast forward, you know, life gets bigger and grander. And um, I left the operations side of the business. I went to the HR side of the business and um, both or both domestically and internationally. It was part of a lot of new projects. And what I was starting to recognize over time is projects either failed or succeeded on the people we put on the project, the leaders who were in charge. We had amazing concepts that fell that I just was heartbroken over. We had some that I was like, really, this made it? But we had great teams and so they figured it out and then they made it great. And so that kind of realization that the team really does drive the success of the concept, success of the idea, um, kind of set me on this path of you know trying to crack that nut. And that's what I get to do today. Yeah, and so all right, I, I, I love the story, I might, I'm not going to dig too much deeper, but I love what you said because I like had this vision of some old, maybe 80s teen type movies of people hanging out in malls. And I do want to acknowledge that there's a generation that has no idea what we're talking about right now. <laughs> 
that it used to be cool to go to a mall and hang out. And now people's like, if I can't get it online or instant or something like that, but, but I recall, and, and I do know that, that at one point that was like a, a great spot to be, but I, I do want to know a little bit more. And I mean, tell me what you can or want to tell, but um, growing up, uh, were you in an entrepreneurial family or, or was your family, did they work for someone else? A little bit of both. Both of my parents were educators, which was a little bit unique that I was entrepreneurial, like from the start. What, what was, what was your growing up life like? And I don't think it was, we go hang out at the mall all the time, but that kind of led to that. But what, what was that like? Well, I did hang out at the mall a lot with my grandmother. She loved to shop as much as I did. So we actually did hang out at the mall quite a bit. But um, I come from a mix. I do have a lot of entrepreneurs in my my family, um, you know, in different areas. You know, we grew up in, in oil and gas. So, you know, we had some oil and gas businesses. But then my parents always had side um, jobs or side companies. So they had to get, my mother had a gift shop. And then my dad had um, this um, kind of dance hall that also did bingo. I mean, and so I grew up with people juggling different businesses, um, you know, making business decisions, understanding that, you know, you had to work really hard if you owned your own business. And you know that, I know that. And sometimes I think people think, oh, I'm going to start my, and people tell me all the time, well, you own your own business. Why do you have to work today? I go, because I own my own business. That's why I have to work today. Um, but I grew up learning how to work really hard and know if you want something, it's possible. You just got to get out of bed and get it. Yeah, most people that own their own own their own business, they have the opposite challenge, and that is knowing when not to work, <laughs> knowing yes, when to take off. I, I, my wife and I were just discussing that earlier. We're planning something for the following summer, next summer, and we're like going, should we take some days off? And she goes, we probably should. So, um, yeah. so, so you learned a lot there. What are what are a, a couple of key takeaways that you've taken with you for the rest of your life from your, uh, you know, Jen, the early years? Oh. Jen, the early years. Um, I think that um, the probably the one of the biggest things I've taken away from it is doing the right thing always leads to something great. Mm. Um, that you have to collect experiences, not money and titles, because those experiences start to add up to get you what you want. And um, no one does it alone. That gave us a good quote right there. Collect experiences, not money and titles very good on that so good anything anything and we're about to leave jen the early years but anything from jen the early years where i, I call the i joke around about sometimes a scarlet o'hara moment where you kind of do this as god is my witness i will never blank 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 because of some something mm -hmm. and this is not we don't this is not a time that we disparage our parents or the way we grew up it's just you know, things that defined us later because we didn't want to go back to do something like that or something in yes. that vein. So any, you'll never be hungry again as God is my witness, Scarlett O'Hara moment for you or a, or a, or a something like that. I think for me, um, which is interesting because I, I am a lifelong learner. I have more certificates in program in three, like I am a lifelong learner. I walked out in college because I didn't want to take a biology or a PE class. And my advisor set me down and said to continue, you will have to take biology and one PE course. And I said, what are my PE choices? And she said, bowling, scuba diving. I lived in Western Oklahoma or golf. And I looked at her and I said, I don't see it. I just don't see how taking scuba diving in Western Oklahoma, I mean, maybe if I'd lived in the you know, coastline of California, um, is going to help me you know, land a great job. And she's like, well, it doesn't matter. It's what you have to do. And I said, you just want my money. And I got up and I walked out and I finished that semester and never went back to school. <laughs> So that is definitely a very much a typical story for me. If you don't want me to do it your way, that is just fine. I can find my own way. Hmm. Little, uh, all right, so I, I was going to leave this, but that, I think this is important because there's a lot of people that are just do as they're told, don't ask questions, but that, that's got a bit of a rebel type. I'm not going to do things like the world or everybody says to do. 
and and I think that's part of a core of a leader. Do you, do those go together, or am I trying to make something of nothing here? You know what? It's a really good question. I hadn't thought of it that way. I'm glad you asked that question. It makes me think, and I think it is part of it. And I think it is. Um, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about is get in, you know, what do you get in trouble for and do more of it, learn how to manage it. So you stop getting in trouble, but what you're getting in trouble for is where you're really good because you're too much of it for someone. And I think, and then I think good leaders learn what that is and learn how to situationally manage it and, you know, support it and all that good stuff. You got to check those boxes. Um, but I do think that strong leaders are willing to step up and say, not okay. And that wasn't okay for me. And I didn't understand it, um, which was fine. I just went and got a job at the mall and, you know, it all worked out, but. <laughs> and the rest is history. The rest is, the rest history. is history. Go work at the mall. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I, I um, and I got in trouble. I've got in trouble a lot in my corporate career because I did push back. I did ask questions that I, that no one at the table wanted anyone to ask. Um, but and, and, oh, and, you know, when I was little, my grandmother did one time tell me I should bite my tongue until it bleeds. So, you know, from an early age, I definitely had this rebel speak or this rebel kind of sense about me. But that's how you do big things. That's how you change things. And that's how you, um, you know, make the world a better place by just standing up and saying no. I To me, uh, this is just Tim talking here and we could have a chat about it. To me, what we just talked about is the difference between a leader and a manager. A manager is just going to do exactly what they're told and go along and, and implement, which is good. We need, we need that. Absolutely. But I, I, I love the thought that you, uh, I hope, hope it wasn't horrible, got in trouble some along the way because that tells me a good bit about, uh, about Jen. One of the things though, that popped in my mind I don't think this is controversial, but I'll bring it up anyway. It seems as if, at least in the past, and I don't know if this is changing or not, I'm just going to ask you and you could address it or not. It seems that in the past, men have been more rewarded for that rebel spirit than women. And maybe that's equalizing out some did. But fortunately, you were in somewhat of a retail environment that may have had, I don't know if this is right or wrong, so correct me, may have had more female influence, but is that a correct statement that the way we are rebels, men seem to sometimes get a pass. We could raise our voices more. We could pitch a fit. If a woman does it, there's unfortunately some negative there. Thoughts on that? Sorry to go deep there for a second, but no, it's I, I think that's what you should do. We should have deep conversations because that's how people mm -hmm. learn. And I would say, yes, I come from a very, I grew up in the South. I come from a very Southern upbringing and a female who would ask the hard questions around the dinner table or call someone on something when they said something or did something, even at a young age, I'm not okay with it. Um, you're right, absolutely, as a female, it was inappropriate. And um, which is why, you know, my grandmother used to always tell me to bite my tongue until it bleeds. Um, because when we would go out to dinner, she was a true believer that children were there to be cute and pretty and not to say a word. And so we, I could sit at a dinner table without saying a word for hours. I was really good at that. Um, but um, fast forward into, you know, the world we all grew up in, you know, the role of men and women in leadership starts so early. It starts from even the chores that children are assigned. So typically if a, a female child is assigned laundry or dishes, well, guess what? Those probably have to be done every single day. The men are assigned yard work because it's outside and it's manly. Well, that gets done eh, every week or so, or, you know, a couple hours and you're good and you, you know, share a beer with your dad and life's great. But women every day, every single day, pounding away at stuff. And so even chores we assign start to set up female and male leadership assumptions. And the one thing that I think is incredibly important for females to know, and what I think gets them tripped up from getting to the table is that because of, um, you know, women are very much about, I did this, I got this done because that's how we were raised. What did you do? Men talk about impact. They don't talk about how they did it. They said, this is what I delivered. This was 10% increase and bubble, you know, they have those numbers. Then people can ask about how they did it and they're more than happy to share it. Women start with, well, today I came to work and I had this great conversation and then I did this and then I did this. And, and 
then you've lost and there's no, you had an impact, but you don't know what it is and you can't articulate it. And that's what I think as women, we have to do more of is to articulate our impact and our results so that people do see what we deliver in the workplace. Yeah, and I, I think that's good. And, I, and what I saw from that is that men traditionally have been much better about tooting their own horn, patting themselves on the back and letting the world know how great they did that one day a week cutting the grass and how you know hot it was outside or cold or whatever. So and yeah, yeah, it's pretty dramatic. And we're generalizing and we have to be careful generalizing because Absolutely. I do all the dishes in our house, just so you know. Um, and the laundry, by the way. But, uh, but, and, and, but I, I, think, I think we need to recognize that. And it's real interesting. I grew up in the South too. My wife and I've had some interesting conversations about how I'm not against females preaching or anything like that. But there was a time that we went to a church that there was a female that preached and she was pretty loud and boisterous. This is Pentecostal, raise your hands and everything type church. And I would always tell my wife, I said, you know, I just don't get much. And he goes, and and my wife would tell me, she goes, you just don't like it because a woman's, you know, getting loud and shouting and telling it like it is. I said, you're probably correct. I'm not used to that. So, (laughs) but, but, but I do, before we leave this, I think it's important because I think it's important for male and female. And that is when one has that rebel lead spirit versus manage, I think we could be a bull in a china shop and never achieve and accomplish, or we could use that to be really effective and impactful. And a lot of that is EQ and knowing the environment that we're in and other things like that. But any other tips or things that you can share being that, I'm defining you as a rebel here, but being that leader that Jen is, being that leader that Jen is, that that you've seen maybe some things you didn't do well that you learned from, and then you did well, that you could share, and then and then we're going to move into a, a little bit different line here and talk about talent and the talent cliff and things like that. But anything last uh, on this leadership piece to help those rebels and real leaders out there? Yeah. So I think that those real leaders, as people are trying to change things and break things is that you have to look at it as um, chipping away at a wall. If you want to come in and smash that entire wall down in one day, it probably won't happen and you'll probably hurt yourself and others along the way. And so to make great change, there has to be a strategy and it ha- you have to bring people along with you. You have to you know, course correct. There's a ton of things in that. And I think people who go out to break for the fun of it you know, yeah, they might break a few things and they may cause some conversation, but you're right. They may not deliver anything. They might, again, it's all about that result. Can you deliver that result? But I think people who see something and can see progress and understand strategically how progress actually moves the needle faster than blowing something up, um, then I think those are the people and, and those are the skills that make a difference when you really want to make a big change. Yeah, I think that's important too. And I've done this in the past. Sometimes we just want to stir the pot and create chaos. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that ask questions, that that buck the trends. And uh, I, I love the way the conversation went, that we were able to dive more into that. Something that you brought up earlier when you went into the, um, the you went to the mall and you started working in retail was, and this is exactly the way I wrote it. The way you talked told me that you were not self-focused on what Jen could get out of the role, but you were others-focused. You talked about the team and helping other people and helping the organization. To me, that's what leads to this conversation about talent and other people and being others-focused. Obviously, if you had it at a young age, you had it, but have you always been the person that even in middle school you walked in and you looked around and said oh you know I hope Susie over there is doing well and all of that have you always just been others focused or is that something you've developed over the years oh it's a really good question um I think that I probably have always been you know kind of focused on other people and, and how their, their how their life is going and what's impacting them um I wouldn't say I'm an empathetic person I would say I am a support 
supportive cheerleader person. And I do think those are two very different things um, because I can empathize with someone. Yes, this is going on, but what are we going to do about it? <laughs> what could, what could, what, how do we leverage this and do something great out of it? Um, you know, instead of, you know, sitting there and, you know, just kind of wallowing in it or, you know, there's a time and place depending on the crisis. Obviously there is, you know, recovery and, and um, acceptance and all of those things, but then how do we move forward? And, and definitely that person who, if there was someone in the room that, you know, was being ignored or someone in the room that no one wanted to be around, I could always find something great about that person there's always something great about every single person you come across and um you know and i could find that and you know enjoy it yeah those are uh, we're getting so many great principles having this conversation because we we looked at being the rebel being others focused and i love that thought of you look at someone and you try to find the best in them what's their potential what can bring out the best in them for both them and for the team, which really leads to this conversation that I want to have. There's something that you wrote, I think it's on your website or some of the information I got called the talent cliff. So what I'd love for you to do, I hope this is a good transition. I, I would love for you to tell us what the talent cliff is. I could guess a little bit, but I don't want to mess it up. So what is it and, and how, why is it important and what do we need to know about it? Well, the town of Cliff really came from my own experience of, again, watching those businesses either fail or succeed. And what I noticed over time, and especially with startups, so new organizations, fast startups, what happens is the group of people who start the business are bright, amazing, and they are more skilled than the business requires, which is what gets it off the ground. Then because they are more skilled than the business requires, the business starts to just escalate because, you know, they've got so many more capabilities than is, that's required to run the business. So they can see new ideas. They can problem solve at a higher level. And so they create this amazing momentum. But then what happens too often is they then focus on the widget, the supply chain, the profit, the business plan, all the stuff you're told to focus on. And they don't necessarily focus or have a talent strategy to ensure that the talent skill set stays above the business needs. And then what happens is the business out arcs the skill of the team. We go into fear. So we go into high directive leadership. Your good people are not going to put up with it. They're going to go somewhere else. You're left with people who might just be yes, sir, no, ma'am type people. And the talent skill goes off the cliff. And unfortunately, your business is typically right behind it. Hmm. That sounds like a cliff and it sounds painful. Yes. I, I think something that's interesting to me about that, Jen, and at the time we're recording this late fall, I don't know when people might be listening to this, probably could be into 2022. We're, we're hearing stories, we're seeing, we're seeing things happen like record numbers of people are leaving their jobs. And just this morning, I read in Wall Street Journal that they were, they said, here's why I read the whole article. And let me just say, they did not give a good reason why <laughs> they didn't tell they don't why know people, because I'm not sure that they know. And so, you know, just a month or so back, I saw 4.3 million everywhere we go. My wife and I, we travel all over the country and everywhere we've been, there are help wanted signs. There is short staff. I mean, a lot of this is restaurants and, and retail. I remember walking through the Dallas airport a couple of weeks ago thinking I would just pick up a little gift for my wife. And I looked at the directory and there were a few retail stores along the way. There were at least three stores mid-afternoon that were blacked out, closed. They didn't have no staff, but my guess was they didn't have staff to run those stores in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. So... What's going on? Can you, is it the talent cliff? Is it part of that? I mean, let's, let's you and I just kind of go back and forth here. What do we perceive is going on? Because I think it has a lot to do with what you teach and train people on, on how to fix that. Yeah. So I think the thing that we have to remember in today's world, there's a lot of ways to make a dollar and that gives people a lot of opportunity. 
um, at one time there wasn't a lot of ways to make a dollar. You had to work for someone else or there was a few business owners and that is what worked. Well, the wonderful thing about technology in the world we live in today, there are endless ways to make a dollar and there's endless ways to satisfy your needs um, as a human when you think about work. And so it doesn't mean these people aren't working. And that's always a great subline. You know, they're all staying home and no one's working. I'm like, no, there's just a lot of ways to make a dollar that don't get counted in any of these surveys, you know, from a government standpoint. And so you have to stop and remember why people work in today's world. Yes, everyone, most people need a paycheck. Most people aren't independently wealthy. So yes, check, there's financial, but that's only one reason why people work in today's world. They also work because they want to have a connection to others. They want to grow or they want to be growth, whether that's in their current position or different. They want to be growing as humans. And, you know, we're in a time where people can grow faster than ever before, again, because of technology. And then the third thing they're looking for is a sense of contributing to something bigger than them. And in today's workforce, we are so focused on, you know, job and checking the boxes and we'll just pay them more or we'll just throw payroll at the problem which never works we throw payroll at the problem but we're not stopping and remembering those other things and focusing on those three things because if you focused on providing belonging and growth and a connection to a purpose and people knew why their their job mattered and how it fit into the greater good then those organizations are are not going to see those resignations they're going to see people flocking to them and they're also going to see people staying but again, most people don't have a talent strategy. And if they do, it's more focused around, you know, who are we hiring and what's the job description, not what it feels like to actually do the job once someone gets there. Earlier, you mentioned that uh, you were all about experiences, not not money or titles. And I that's what I heard when you were talking, talking about that. But so let me shift here. I'm going to actually, this is not my actual thoughts, but I'm going to kind of play, uh, <laughs> I'm going to play old school boss, but we okay, pay good. them, we pay them money. Why aren't they happy? And what do they really want? We're giving them money. Come on. Yeah. Right. I know. And that's this frustration because what our brains tell us that that has always worked. And so when something stops working, but our brain has said it's always worked, um, instead of thinking it might be us, <laughs> well, how could it ever be our thinking? We start to blame. That's just how the human brain works. Blame feels fantastic. It's no longer your problem. I mean, blame is a happy place. And so what people, the people who aren't willing to recognize that those thoughts aren't working and they own that, then those people are going to be struggling to keep people. Um, and, you know, it is about experiences and it's just small stuff, like stuff that doesn't cost money. You know, um, businesses get really worried and upset about who's in the meeting. Like, you know, oh, and like no one are this level and who could be this meeting? Well, what if you have someone who's super close to being promoted, maybe six to 12 months away? What if you invited them to that next level meeting, allow them to hear the conversation, grow in that conversation, contribute. They probably know the right answer because they're the closest to your customer um, and help them have that experience. So once they get there, they're better prepared and you're, you're allowing them to grow. It's really simple things we can do to provide people this space where they're growing and, and feel like they can contribute. And I, I'm fascinated by this conversation, and, and, and I think it is a big conversation that we need to have more and more, Jen, because I've interacted with some leaders recently. I, I'll just say it this way. They, they don't get it. They do not even perceive that there are issues. And one of the things I do, some of them I'm working with professionally, some of them they're just people I interact with. I am beating the drum, sending them articles saying, listen, it's time to change the way you've been doing business because these 20, 30, 40 people that work for you now, half of them, if we, if we believe the statistics, half of them are considering, some might be more than considering, but at least half of them are considering, how can I get out of this? What can I do? And they've got to, they've got to make changes there. And, and I don't know how some are going to make the shift. I'll, I'll say this, and then I'll get your comments or thoughts on it. I do not like all this happened the last two years with, you know, pandemic and everything and 
all the all the weird stuff that's going on. But there are two things that I have some degree of hope. Number one is I believe individuals are gaining clarity on what's important for them. And I think that's one of the underlying causes or roots to people just leaving jobs, going somewhere else. You know what? I don't have to do this anymore. I could go do something else or, you know, buy and sell crypto online or something else. So I think there's clarity there. And, and this is where I really want you to comment and we can have, a, have fun with this. I believe that organizations are going to be forced to make changes because what they've done in the past is not going to work in the future. And, and I think that's a good thing. What are your thoughts? I think it's a fantastic thing. Um, I think it's really good and I think it's going to be hard. And I think at times it's going to get ugly. Um, but the likelihood of someone changing without the pain of not changing being greater than the pain of change, it doesn't happen. And the other thing that I think is important for us to know when we work with people that are very, what we consider set in their ways, they think they are right. We might call it set in their ways. There's actually um, the ability to get addicted to being right. Um, you know, when you are right, you get a dopamine hit, just like you get sugar or shopping or a drug of choice. Like it's a dopamine hit and who doesn't love a little dopamine? We all do, right? And so what happens is if that has been right and true for them for so long, um, and they, when they become wrong, we are taking away their, their drug of choice. And so we have to be sensitive that some of these leaders are truly addicted to their viewpoints and truly addicted um, to that um, sense of, I don't care what you say, the sky is purple today and you can tell me it's blue till the cows come home, but I will never believe you. And that is a true addiction and we do have to treat it somewhat as an addiction. And as in any addiction, you hurt the people around you more than you ever know. Hmm. So here's the tough thing about that addiction. I did see that written in, uh, I think somewhere in some of the information I read up on you. And I thought about this because I think I've got, I've got some of that disease myself, but I also think that that disease and being the rebel go together. <laughs> and it and it and it makes it tough to know when to turn one on and when to turn one off. Does that make any sense? It makes perfect sense. And I'm going to give you a tool to do it. Okay. So everyone has a sense of that. Everyone loves to be right. I mean, no one wants to wake up and be a gosh, I knew nothing today and I was wrong. So that's so it's normal to have a little bit of it. But what I teach um, executives is when someone comes to you and they tell you something and you're like, uh-uh not true, like you don't wanna believe it, not true, whatever your thoughts are around it. All you have to say is, I do not see it, but change my mind. Because mm -hmm. then it's, you're honest that I don't get it, but you're opening up a conversation to learn. You may change your mind. You can learn that person's perspective. It just opens up this conversation where it is okay to truth tell in the workplace and you will not get in trouble for it. You have to be willing to defend your position. You have to have done your research. You just can't, you know, we talked about earlier, you just can't break stuff to break it. You have to have strategy and purpose. But when you start to open those conversations, that's when people start to either, um, they find common ground. And so someone may not see it on one side and the other person may not see theirs, but through that back and forth conversation, chances are they find a middle ground. And that middle ground may work for a lot of people. And instead of it, just everyone hitting their head against a wall, they can actually create a door and move forward. Yeah, I, I, the, I, I love the thought of conversation. There's a reason why Seek Go Create is not a 20-minute teaching podcast. It is an hour-long conversation because this, to me, it brings me so much joy to have conversations with people like you. And we can't, we couldn't do this in 20 minutes. I couldn't. Maybe some people can. But I love the thought of conversation. But what it made me think of, Jen, is the culture, especially the corporate culture, but I'm noticing in small businesses, too. There is a culture of the annual review is where we cover all of those things. Yeah. And then some, yeah. some like the really progressive organizations, they may do a half year or quarterly review. And I am, am I just, am I messed up thinking if that's where you're going to handle this, you're part of the problem, not the solution. You've, these things are, uh, anyway, I'm going to pause 
help me out there. Yeah. So I think that annual reviews, there, there's a place for them. And there is, um, you know, if used right, all that stuff, right? Check those boxes. But it should be if someone does a self appraisal and the boss does it, they better align. When they don't align, you got a problem. And I see it more as an opportunity to ensure alignment than having the actual conversation because no one should be surprised. Um, you know, you know, you shouldn't be so busy. It's like, you know, you've got this like pile of post-it notes that you just like, you know, I'm mad at you on Tuesday, October 7th, throw it in this pile. And then you go on an annual review, you pick all those up and throw them in. And that's just not how it works. Um, but when you have an environment where you have a lot of conversation, you have, um, you, you as a leader work very hard every day to decrease fear, then to do, decrease fear, you've got to have conversations. And so I think that those conversations lead to no surprises in the annual review or com companies that do that well, they may not even need a review cycle. Um, but people like finish lines. And I will say that about reviews. Yes, there are, there are people who pitch have them or have not. And I, I don't disagree with either side. But what I think is important is people like finish lines. And so whether it's an annual review or something, allow someone to finish and say complete and then give them a new race to run. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, okay, one more little rant here. I think the challenge is, is that they try to look at that as being the event or the that's it, that's all we need. And, and to me, that's like bare minimum that there needs to be ongoing conversation. And I know that you coach, I coach, we probably have the coaching gene and there's some leader managers that say, well, I don't know that I have that. It's just conversations and communicating with people on a regular basis. And uh, anyway, that's, uh, I, I, I'm sorry to keep ranting about that, but it's, it's a process, not an event, right? Yeah, it's a process, it's practice. It's just getting comfortable with learning every day. I think to really have great conversations, you have to drive home at the end of the day or you know walk out of your office at home at the end of the day, whatever the world it looks like, or your motor coach. And you have to say, what did I learn from my team today? And if you did not learn something new from your team, you didn't have good conversations because again, in today's world, we are not experts no matter how hard we try. And so we've got to be learning from those around us. And that um, comes from great conversations. Yeah. Hey, Jen, uh, shifting just a little bit here. Actually, this is probably related. So we'll, we'll see what you have to say about it. But there was something that you had that was something like the seven deadly sins of leadership. I hope I wrote it down right. And and we may have already talked about some or we may be all over them or we may be off track. But uh, give us a glimpse of what that is. And you don't have to go through all of them, but but it sounds bad. <laughs> well, they are the seven deadly sins. It's, so they are woo! bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I use that to really help people start to understand what the addiction to being right looks and sounds like. And so if you think about wrath, you know, someone addicted to right is going to be protecting their addiction for everything they have. They're going to be yelling. They're going to be like slamming their hand on, you know, their fist and like, no, you are wrong. I am right. And I have literally seen people scream that you are wrong. I am right. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Um, and so that wrath is there. Um, you also think about gluttony, you know, and, you know, just wanting that dopamine hit and so much of it. So you can take all those seven deadly sins and, and they start to add up to what the addiction to being right looks like. Um, and if you have those behaviors, that's when you have to say, wait a minute, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should do a little work on myself. Sounds like you pulled some biblical words there with wrath and gluttony and all that. So yeah. there's no scriptures that back those up, is there? Um, I would not be able to tell you exactly which ones, but. <laughs> <laughs> but there but there could be. So, Very yeah, that's out. that sounds good there. So, okay. Well, uh, a couple of things I want to do as we wrap up here. Uh, I, I wrote this down and I, we may have already addressed it. And if we did, we could, you know, hit it quickly. But. One concern that I have with a talent shortage or a people shortage type market is that leaders, managers will get impatient and just hire the first person that comes along or a warm body or the fog type, you know, job 
type thing. I was wondering if maybe you could just speak to uh Speak to that. I, I don't think that's the way to do it. I think having no one is many times better than having the wrong one. But can you talk a little bit about that? Do you see the same thing? Have you seen people do that? That if all of a sudden they see in the press that we're, we're having a shortage of people, people are leaving the workforce. Oh my gosh, I better, I better hire just some more bodies. Yeah, it does happen and it happens way too often. And I could do an entire hour on that subject. But at the end of the day, it is really hard on the team when you're short because they're doing extra work. It's just as hard on the team when you hire the wrong person because they're doing extra work. So the outcome is the same, but one of them long-term will do better. The other thing is when you are short personnel or you have someone that's not there and the team does have extra work they have to pick up, start to help them edit. You've got to edit the work down because then you're going to just continue that process. They're going to be exhausted and they're going to leave. And then, you know, it just gets worse and worse. And so to edit your work down, because I know uh, why would anyone do something that wasn't required? It, that would be silly. But there is a ton of work that I like to call vanity work that we do in the workplace every single day. And that's work that we like or the boss likes or it's just how we've always done it, but it really has no impact or difference on the business. And that is the work you have to cut out when you are um, waiting to find the right person. You have to cut out work and edit so those that you have are not overwhelmed. I love that because we talked earlier about I hope that one of the byproducts of the pandemic is that individuals, people, leaders have gained clarity about what's important and what's not and clear the decks to get some white space. And what you just brought up, I am so hopeful that organizations, companies, businesses do the same thing. Get rid of the fluff, get rid of the stuff that we don't need to do because that is, is I mean, I'm an engineer by training. That's effective, efficient. I love the thought of that. So, hey, Jen, I, there's so many other things I could ask, but this is might be my final question. I will, as the host, have the ability to possibly ask more, but getting close to the final question. What, if, if you were to say, what, one of the things we talk about on this show a good bit is redefining success. And earlier you, you know, you talked about you redefined success when you were in college. You said, you know what? I don't need a college degree. I don't need to do this that y'all are saying is success. I'm going to go my own path. You also mentioned that titles and jobs and money wasn't important to you. So you've gone through that process. But the mindset of a leader, what should that be as far as how they measure and gauge success in your eyes? What do you, what do you perceive as success for a leader? Oh gosh, that's a tough one too. It's like defining leadership. I think what success is, is if you have made um, the people around you and their community a little bit better. Um, we spend a ton of time at work and how we're treated at work impacts how we treat our families and those people around us. And I'm a true believer in to create better communities, we have to create better work environments. And so when people around you say things like, you know what, we had that conversation, I went home and shared it with my son because he kind of was going through something at school and I shared that experience with him and I connected with him, then you know that you have success. You gotta make better people, better communities. I love that. Great answer there. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think I've ever asked. I've talked to a lot of leadership folks. I haven't asked that. I appreciate that. It definitely shows the others focus that I picked up on as, as we had a conversation. Jen, how, let me ask this in two parts. What type person or organization should reach out to you that you would work with? And then also for anyone or that type person, how can they connect with you? We'll include some of that in the notes, websites or something like that, but who and then how uh, for people to connect with you? So the who is organizations who look at development as a long-term strategy. We are not people that come in and do one workshop and think your company is fixed. And because it, let me just let me just spill the beans here. You're wasting your time and money. Um, we um, work with organizations long-term. We put together long-term strategies. So those who are in it for the long haul, those are our best. Um, clients and the ones we really enjoy working with um, and those that have, you know, really intense growth mindsets. Um, to get in touch with us, you can reach us on our website at 304coaching.com. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Jen Thornton ACC. 
Excellent. And we'll include all that. Yes, yeah, she's uh, not Mr. Worldwide. She's Jen Thornton 304 coaching. So anyway, sorry. Still having fun with that. Uh, yeah. Jen, we are, we are seek, go, create. And I love to ask, which one of those words, final question here, which one of those words more than the other two resonates with you right now and why? You know, I might have answered it different before our conversation, but you brought up, you made me think so much today. And I really appreciate it. I love when people make me think. And so seek, I mean, that is, you know, I have, I, I seek out and I'm curious. Um, and you made me seek out answers today through this conversation. So thank you. Excellent. Jen Thornton, thank you so much for joining us on Seek, Go, Create. And if you've been listening in, this is a big favor I'm going to ask. If you've been listening to this on one of the podcast platforms, on YouTube, on one of the social channels, share this episode. I can guarantee you that you know people that need to hear this conversation that we had. I think it stretched me, stretched Jen, stretched us both. And I believe that it stretched you also. And that's, uh, that's what we love to do here at Seek, Go, Create please share this. We have new episodes every Monday. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.